Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, remember they went to the other side, now they're going to the other side again. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Now, remember that I said parts of Mark, various parts of Mark, aren't necessarily in chronological order. They'll take uh, John Mark through the Holy Spirit was just given chunks at a time. It wasn't uh, one giant story as we like to see from the beginning to the end, although um, parts of it lead up to the crucifixion after verse 8, after chapter 8. Um, for, most of it is kind of big sections of thought, and they're not necessarily in time. And right here we see an example, and I'll just give you a little example for those of you who like details. Uh, so Jesus goes over, and he goes over and goes to the other side. Remember, there's the storm. He calms it. He steps off the boat, and there's a demoniac. Well, um, he goes ahead, and he goes ahead and takes care of the de- de- demoniac. They tell him to get out of there. All the people, their hearts was hard toward him. So he goes ahead, he gets in the boat, and he goes back over to the other side. That's where we are right now, verse 21. When he crossed over the other side of the lake, there was a large crowd there gathered around him. And it says next, and then, he, then one of the synagogue leaders, and it starts in verse 22. But actually in between verse 21 and 22, if you go back to chapter 2 in Mark, um, uh, yeah, actually chapter 2, verse 18, Jesus' question about fasting, what actually happens is Jesus gets off the boat right there, on his way back over, and it says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some of the people came and asked him, How is it that John's disciples and the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And so exact, he gets right off the boat, and he immediately gets hammered by the religious Pharisees and the disciples of John. And they start asking this question about fasting, and they keep going back and forth. Now, that's the, it's, in the other Gospels, it's, it's laid out like that in, in stories. So that's how we know it is. Mark doesn't really care about that issue. He's trying to make a point here. And the point that he's making is often about fear and faith. And so these other things are kind of subplots. And so he kind of takes them out and doesn't really recall them. And the Lord kind of teaches here as he tells them to go across the, the lake. And they get scared. Remember, they have fear in their hearts. And he goes, oh, you of little faith. And he wants to encourage them. He says, didn't I say we're going to the other side? We're going to the other side. And so he goes ahead. They go to the other side. Now they start to come back. And they get off the boat. And instead of telling this story, the Holy Spirit is leading us to another story. The story of Jairus here. And you see how the Gospels each are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Written by the Holy Spirit to encourage us in different ways. And for those of you who are really like to just see things in chronological order, they do have the New Testament, I mean, the Gospels in chronological order, and it's a beautiful thing to watch. You can see how it all ties together. And even in some of your study Bibles, right in the middle of it, they'll have how all these different uh, parables and things all line up chronologically. But if you've ever been around the Lord long, he doesn't, He's not really hung up on a time frame. And sometimes uh, some things aren't as important to Him as they are to us. And right now, he wants to teach us about faith and trusting in him and not giving in to our fear. And so as we continue, let's, let's read this. And so he goes on, verse 21, there's, he crosses back over. And there's a large crowd that gathers around him again. Jesus is here. Verse 22, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. 
And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Last week, what did we see who fell at his feet? Anyone? As soon as Jesus got off the boat, who fell at his feet? A demoniac falls at his feet. He recognized the authority that Jesus had. Obviously, his was based in fear. Please don't cast us into the abyss, into the abuso before it's time. But they recognized his authority. And here, one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. You know, here we also have one of the synagogue leaders falling at the feet of Jesus, recognizing Jesus' authority. Jesus' authority to heal. He knew that he had the power to do what he did not have power to do. He saw Jesus, and he said, just fell at his feet and started begging him. In both cases, you see the the demoniac and him, they recognize the authority that Jesus has had. And as we've been going through Mark, we keep seeing this over and over and over again. This is very important, everybody. Listen up. Very important. Over and over we keep seeing this little theme about the authority of Jesus Christ. The authority that when he says it, it happens. When he says it, it happens. When he says it, it happens. And it has to be drilled into our hearts. It has to be a part of our lives that we put everything that we are upon what he says. Why? Because... It happens. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever shall believe in him shall have what? Everlasting life. And the reason why we know that we have eternal life is because he said it. And when he says it, it happens. That's what we base everything upon. And the enemy comes and he attacks that day after day after day from the very beginning. Did he really say that? Did he really say that? And it gets to the place where we get some watered down and we, we come to church and we don't even open up the scriptures anymore because, oh, you know what? Because some, I'm sorry, I don't want to get, you know, slanderous. Because someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about reads this and goes, oh, no, it couldn't possibly happen because miracles don't happen. Oh, it couldn't possibly happen because my teacher taught me so. Oh, it couldn't possibly happen because his teacher taught him so. You know, just taking these things at face value. When you take Christ at face value, you're going to find that he will meet you. He will absolutely do what he says. And how many of you don't really feel like God's going to do what he says sometimes? Yeah, we have that ride, right? But what Jesus says, and we're going to learn that in a little, uh, little bit, but he says, you know, if you base your life upon what I say, It's going to be like building your house upon a what? A rock. Because what I say happens. He said your house, your life is going to be like a rock. And storms are going to come to us all. They're going to hit us. We're all going to have disease. We're all going to have cancer. We're all going to get hit with wars. We're all going to have the same thing in life. We're all breathing in and out. But when you take your life and you and you put it upon Jesus Christ. When those storms come, you have a rock that you know that you know that you know, no matter what happens, that Jesus Christ is reigning and ruling, and he will do what he said in my life. 
And that's what all I have when it comes into the day that I face it upon. And that is everything. Boy, that is exciting to me. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not feeling too hot today. My body, you know, it has ups and downs, more downs and ups lately. And I tell you what, I just need to remember who he is and what he said. Like I told you last week, he said, we're going to the other side. We're going to Walla Walla. Everything flew around in, the, in between, the, and the water was coming in the boat, and we're screaming, oh, God, you know. But look where I am. Look where we are. Look where we're standing. Why? Because he said it, and it happened. And in my heart said, okay, Lord, I'll trust in you. Very little faith, very weak, but he is the one who is faithful. Amen? Exciting. Exciting. And who gets the glory? Matt? No. no. We all look at me and go, oh, yeah. Well, you just barely made it, didn't you? <laughs> oh, God gets the glory. To him be the glory. Amen. I'm excited about that. And these guys, they recognize the authority of Jesus. They, and, and what blows me even away more is that it was a religious leader who just bat, fell at the feet of Jesus. Anybody who knows who been, who's been leading a Bible study for a little while or leading your family or, or a leader in the church or whatever, you can kind of forget who's in charge. You can forget that the Lord Jesus is the one who's in charge. And he can do things that you can't, that we can't. We have nothing apart from him. I can do nothing apart from Christ. And in that flip verse, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Abide in me. Abide in me. Jesus says, be with me. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Like cut off branches, gone, burned away. How we want to be abiding in Jesus Christ, getting that life that we need through him. And so I would challenge you to make it a habit in your prayer life when you pray because disciples pray, encouraging us all, right? That we bow down before our Lord, actually on our knees, and remember his authority. Lord Jesus, here I am. I'm your servant. Thank you for for forgiving me. Fill me with your power today. I think it's an important remembrance, that humbling of the human spirit and the soul before their God in a physical action. It's interesting. It's very powerful, and it really helps us in our relationship with the Lord. So take that to heart. Pray about it this week, and just fall before him. The demons recognized Jesus, and they fell before his feet, and so did this religious leader. I think it's something we need to take into our minds. In verse 23, this man, this religious leader, Jairus of the synagogue, one of them, he said he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. You know, as I was reading this, I was just thinking, how many of us are willing to alter our plans for those around us? How many of those are willing to alter our plans for a complete stranger in need? You know what? Our plan has to be his plan. Our mindset, and this is so important, this is so important, my mindset has to change from Matt's will to God's will. 
Boy, I'm working on that. How many of you are working on that? It's so hard. But once you kind of just say, you know what, this is, I'm living for you, Lord Jesus. You start to just go, every single opportunity that I have is yours. Lord, guide my steps today. Every single meeting, every single, you know, going to the gas station, going to the grocery store and everything. And what happens is you begin to walk your life. God is going to direct your path. And there will be people that run into you because God goes, this is a person that, that I want to use today. And you'll find they bump into your path and what you thought you were there for wasn't really the situation. Boy, I was driving home one night after ministry and for some reason I was craving a Slurpee at like 11 o'clock at night. I don't know why. And uh, <clears throat> I forgot what it was, the situation, but I, I decided, you know, I'm just going to turn left. I think I was falling on a Raiders fan or something. I don't know what it was, but... Uh, Okay, I'm going to go get a Slurpee. I don't even want a Slurpee. I'm like talking to myself, going, why am I going to get a Slurpee? So I go into 7-Eleven, and as I open the door, a guy's walking out, and the, and the teller's saying something about God to him. And I go, oh, I realize why I went to Slurpee. And this guy walks out, and I said, did you just... No, I walked in, I talked to the guy, I said, were you just talking like about God to this guy? He's like, oh, yeah, he's kind of crazy. So I'm like, okay, that's me, you know? went out and started talking to this guy, and he wasn't in his right mind. He was obviously struggling with some drugs and stuff and talking about stuff. And I just spent a half hour, whatever it was, just talking with him about the gospel and just saying, no, nope, that's not it, buddy, just Jesus, and just bringing it down. And you know how people, when they're hyped up on something, they can get going. But there was this thing in him that was, the Lord was needing to communicate with him, and everybody was casting him aside. And so they used, you know, God said, hey, Slurpee boy, go get this guy. You know, it's like <laughs> when we allow the Lord to just begin to use us in whatever circumstance we're in, amazing things happen. A year later, I was leading worship at this church. I hadn't seen him since. And all of a sudden, I recognized this guy kind of in his right mind, sitting in the front row. And afterwards, I go, I know you from somewhere. I said, he says, I saw you. He's all... I remember me, I was the guy at the Slurpee, you know, thing, and I'm like, at 7 Eleven, and I was like, you gotta be kidding. Praise God! You know, yes! To God be the glory. But as Jesus was walking around, a guy ran up to him and said, please come with me. And Jesus could have said, no, I'm on my way to church. No, I'm on my way to, you know. But he said, he went with him, he showed him mercy. I think that's just beautiful. That's the mindset we have to have. That every single opportunity, you get hurt, you're in the hospital. The reason why you're in the hospital isn't for necessarily for you. I mean, yeah, you got to get bandaged up. So. There are people around you, and you are the light of the world. Jesus has given you himself. And in that hard, difficult situation, you get the chance to share the love of Christ with people that are a captive audience and have to be there. It's cool. You know? Every opportunity that we have is an opportunity for Jesus Christ to bless you and to use you. Are you open? And a loud crowd followed and pressed around him. No kidding. Verse 25, while he's on his way to do something, he gets bugged again. Ready? Verse 25, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Can you imagine how humiliating that is? Do you realize in that culture that uh, that issue, and I'm not going into detail today, 
It was considered unclean. And anyone who was that situation, if you sat on a chair, that chair was unclean. Okay, that, that whole mindset. And they were ostracized. They weren't allowed to touch people. They weren't allowed to go worship until that cycle was done. Does that make sense? Now listen up. Twelve years. How do you feel? Pretty alone. Pretty ostracized. Pretty unclean. Pretty hurt inside. And what does it say about her? And she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She was bankrupt. She had tried everything. You know, praise God for doctors. But there's some things doctors cannot do. There are situations that they just don't understand yet or can't fix. You know, and somehow we think they're supermen. It's like they're men and women just like us with limited information, doing the best they can. There are some things that God only can do. And she grew worse instead of better under these circumstances. I praise God that I've been able to have relief in my suffering because of doctors, you know. But still, your condition grows worse and it's frustrating and it hurts. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, not out front, did she? She was kind of behind him, weaving through the crowd, probably had a cloak on because she's not allowed to touch people, didn't want to know who she is and all that stuff, cruising through because she, if she, she thought, she had this thought in her mind, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. This guy, he's amazing. Everybody's just walking up trying to touch him because he heals people just by being around them. I mean, his power is just exuding. We see that happen with Paul in the New Testament. That he touches, you know, a cloak or something, and they'd be healed. And I know this is kind of, you know, TV and charismatic for us, but we'll get there in just a second, okay? Just hold on for a second. The Holy Spirit was just so present and working and overflowing in this person's life that people were just reaching out to touch Jesus, and they touched his cloak. And this woman says... If I, could, if I could just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Imagine what that must have felt like. Oh, my goodness. Just a total freedom that she had never felt before. She touched Jesus and was freed. And at once, verse 30, the interesting thing about reaching out to Jesus is that Jesus notices verse 30, realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around the crowd and asked, who touches my clothes? Who touched my clothes? Not like, who touched my clothes? You know, hey, who touched me? Probably, right? In verse 31, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. Everybody's touching you. You know? Who do you think said that? I think it's Peter. (laughs) You You know, Captain Foot and Mouth. And yet you ask who touched me, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. He wants to know those who are reaching out to him. He is a seeker of those who seek him. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and did what? Fell at his feet. Are we seeing a theme here? Got, got another one in just a few minutes. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. 
boy, she exposed who she was in front of all those people and the issue that was going on. Because for an unclean person to touch someone, especially a rabbi, whoa, you don't do that. And she told the whole truth. But when I touched you, I'm clean inside. And he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Your faith has healed you. Go and be free from your suffering. There's something amazing about faith. And sadly, I think that part of our, you know, some of our denominations have really taken that to a crazy extreme. You know, let me mail you this prayer cloth and all that stuff. And you know what's amazing when they mail them the prayer cloth? Is that God kind of looks on that poor person's faith and sometimes heals them. That God just has mercy and pity upon people. Because Jesus isn't necessarily all orthodox and how things are done sometimes. He gets down and dirty with people and just meets them where they're at. You ever notice that about him? How we love to just say, no, that, you know, in, uh, you know, in the book of theology, it says you must do this, Lord, and this and this and this. And sometimes God just works outside the parameters because he often has to go outside the way things are done to reach people because we close them off. And I just would say that we're not going to be, you know, sending out anointing cloths and all that stuff at all. But I just, I just want you to know that, t- that faith is taking God at his word, that what he said he can do will be done. For some of us, he's chosen us to suffer, like Paul. Paul, he asked him three times, Lord, heal me. And what, ha- what did Jesus say to him? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. I love you, Paul, but you know what? This that's happening in your life, it's going to happen. And it's sufficient. And, some, and it did until the day he died. And then for others of us, we just need to reach out and touch Jesus and say, Lord, my unbelief has been keeping me from the freedom that you can give me. If that's you, reach out to Jesus today. Fall on your feet. Humble your soul before Lord God and say, Lord, help me. In this situation, I'm a sinner. I need your healing in my life, physically, emotionally, relationally, whatever it is that he needs to work on. Lord Jesus, help me. How I need you. That humbling of the human spirit and saying, God, I trust that what you say will happen. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. That's amazing. And Jesus sought her out. I love that. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking to her, right? Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now, you're a religious leader. You come and you... You know, you're a man of stature in society, and you come and you fall down before this guy as a last resort. I've heard, you know, please, and he's starting to go with you, and then someone comes, hey, you know what? She's gone. What would happen to your faith? It's all lost. That little one you loved is gone. It hurts. And despair comes in, and listen to this, though. Listen to what Jesus does. Because when we start to lose our faith in the Lord, He is faithful to swoop in. Check this out. 
He said to her daughter, I'm sorry, uh, your daughter is dead. Why bother teaching her? Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus is listening. Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. When we lose our faith, Jesus jumps in. He goes, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Keep on the faith track. Keep, I'm, I'm with you. We're, we're going. Come on. Don't let this minor thing like death. You know, remember, God often works in circumstances that we see as terminal. There's no way that Matt is going to wallow well. There's no way we're getting to the other side. The storm's too great. There's no way that Jesus can heal because she's dead. We think in these terms, but does God think in these terms? No. When we take what he says at face value and we follow it out, we see that he will be faithful to do what he says. We lose out on the blessing. We lose out on the power. We lose out on all that God has for us when we stop short of it and fall into fear or fall into, you know, common sense. Often what he has to do in our lives is counterintuitive, like driving on ice. So what he said is don't be afraid, just believe. Write that down and circle it. And he did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, right? Verse 37. That's interesting. He was, he was excluding other disciples, and he just had these three with him. Don't worry, just a few more minutes, okay? Verse 37. He didn't let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, and the brother James, right? So Peter, James, and John. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing outside. And he went and said to them, <laughs> Why all this commotion and wailing? Jesus sees through the eyes of faith. He knows what's going to happen. This child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, don't laugh at Jesus. <laughs> after he put them all out, <laughs> He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, those three disciples, and he went where the child was. And he took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha koam, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately, notice, because when Jesus says it, it happens, verse 42, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. That always made me think. You guys can have fun with that one. And at this, because the woman with Bud is 12 years and she's 12 years, there's some interesting things. At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told her and gave her something to eat. That's the end of our text, but I have something else to read to you. Notice he casts out the people. It gets everybody out of the room. And who are the three that are with him? In discipleship, and this is important, there are the masses that Jesus has, the big crowds that he's ministering to. But can he invest in all of them at once? He can only do a certain amount. And his, ministry, his mission was to duplicate himself in the lives of men so that they could continue the work of the ministry and women. And that is our job as disciples of Jesus Christ, is to duplicate the life of Christ through us into others. 
And he took the three. Out of the twelve that he had, there were three that he spent the most time with and invested in. And as you see in, the, in Acts, these were the three leaders in the church. Peter, James, and John. Of course, Paul later on. But I mean, Peter, James, and John out of the disciples that followed Jesus. And even there was the one, I would say, the one that Jesus loved. And we see John, and we see him on the cross, and he hands off his mother to him. But the people that Jesus spends time with, who are your three? Who's your one? You know, who are the people are you duplicating Jesus in? Yes, our families, you know. But some of us, you know, need to take a step of faith and begin to share your life with Jesus Christ and to other people and to begin to train them and lead them up on what it is to follow Jesus, how it is to pray. And, and I want to show you how this practically works out. It was just these three men in this room. Just these three men in this room. Will you, in your Bibles, flip over with me. Acts chapter 9, verse 30, 30, uh, 36. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Hold off there for a second. Don't read. We want to have it all together. All right. And in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. Notice it's a disciple. Boy or girl? It's a woman. Disciple of Jesus Christ, praise God which when translated is Dorcas. Don't get caught up on that. Who was always doing good and helped the poor. What a woman. And about that time she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. That's what they did after they died, okay? Lydia, uh, I'm sorry, Lydda was near Joppa. And so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, um, they sent two men to him and urged him, please, to come at once. Notice a little diversion in his path. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Where did he get that from? Then he got down on his knees and prayed. And then turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. Notice really quickly, Peter got down on his knees and prayed. Where did the authority come from? Where does our authority come from in Christ? Him. And he prayed, and turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. Just like what? And she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. And he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented him to her alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner tanner named Simon. 
Do you see that life of discipleship duplicated in Peter? I'm just praying that we see a bunch of little, you know, Christians. Christians means little Christ. A bunch of you being raised up. When people come to Christ, I want to see them living like you. But I want to see you living like him. I want to be living like him. I got a long way to go, amen? But don't be afraid. Reach out. Start grabbing those people and saying, you know, I I don't know much, but this is what I know about my Jesus. And you start to pray with them. You start to encourage them. Don't lose faith. Continue to hope in him. He's got an amazing plan, and it's going to fold. Don't stop short of, oh, he's dead, so it's over. Trust in what he says. Amen? Lord, you are Lord. And anything you says, say goes, Lord. And you said that you would never leave us nor forsake us. And so you also said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also. And because you said that, you are here. Praise you. Thank you. Lord Jesus, please teach us and empower us. Amen.